How's everybody doing? It is good to have you here, whether you're at Highlands Ranch, Lakewood, Castle Rock, Lone Tree, or if you are watching us via, via the live stream, we are so glad that you're participating this weekend. And I'm super excited about uh, getting to do part two of our Remarkable series. But before I jump in, I have a quick announcement. Actually, I have a very important announcement. How important is this? Oh, that was good. All the way, I, I even heard all the campuses. That was great. All right. It's the Life Day thing. I know that you probably have heard it several times, but here's the deal. At all of the campuses next weekend, there are no services at any particular campus. We are doing one service in one location. And I want to make sure that everybody understands we have a tremendously fun day planned for everybody at JFC. Pastor John is so excited about this Life Day because it's going to pull all of Jubilee Fellowship together in one location for one big event. And so we have the 5K kicking off at 9 a.m. We have 520-some racers uh, either running or walking. We have baptisms. We have 60 baptisms. 60 people getting baptized, and it's not too late to sign up for that. We've got all of these tents and inflatables um, that are going to be set up early in the morning and go throughout the entire day. And so your kids can have, I mean, it really is a family-focused event. So bring your kids early. Even if you're not running or walking in the race, you can come and cheer those people on and, and let the kids have a bunch of fun. You can go from booth to booth and see all the different things that are going on. And it's just going to be an incredible time. And then at 11 o'clock... 11 o'clock on Saturday. I'm going to ask you to all repeat that. When is it? 11 o'clock on Saturday. Okay. Is our service for the weekend? Got it? We prayed about this, that you would hear this. I am praying that not a single person would go to any of our campuses and look at the door and go, oh, life day. Ah. Okay, that you will make sure that you're aware of that. And at this service, we're going to have our regular service. We're going to have our worship team. They've got this huge set that they're bringing in. We're going to have a praise and worship that's going to be uh, just amazing as it all always is. We're going to have a message from Pastor John. We've already seen the notes. It's an incredible message. It's going to be wonderful for the life day. Um, we're going to have all the different ways that we uh, normally go about worship. We'll have our tithe and offering boxes at the entrance and exit. So you can bring your tithes and offerings. Um, um, and so please don't forget those things because we called Excel and said, we're doing this life day. Can we have a week off? And they were like, no. Um, and so we, we need the, the, the generosity and the faithfulness that you always give every week to continue even on that weekend. Um, another thing that we're going to be doing in the middle of all of that is our youth department is going to be cooking hot dogs and hamburgers the entire day. And uh, it is for our youth missions trip. And uh, this is the time of the year where we come to you and we say, hey, come and pay $20 for a hot dog. Pay $50 for a hamburger. I mean, they're going to be grilling so much food and you could probably go and grab as many hot dogs as you wanted. But man, I mean, help these youth go on this mission trip. The junior high is going to Seattle. Um, senior high are going to the Hispaniola DR, um, Haiti Island. And it's just, um, it's just an opportunity for us to get involved and you can be a part of that. So come planning with those $20, $50, $100 bills, right? Yeah. Right? 
All right, so that's it. Uh, we're just gonna have an incredible, incredible day. And again, it is Saturday the 24th and we want every single person there. So, hey, I'm gonna just start with a word of prayer and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing here at the church. We thank you for this remarkable series. And Lord, I consider it an honor and privilege to uh, be used by you to communicate one of these messages. And so, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase in me. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate your heart. Lord, this is a very practical message, but Lord, I desire that it would go from the practical into the spiritual and it would touch the spirits of every single person listening to it right now. And so Lord, I pray that you would, by your sweet conviction, come and speak to us in regards to this topic and in regards to what you've put on my heart and in my mind to share. And Lord, help me to communicate it um, as you would want it communicated. And Lord, we thank you for this in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, as I said, this is part two of a series called Remarkable. And if you missed last weekend's message that Pastor John did, um, and excuse the, the pun on here, but it was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Uh, moms, yes? It was just amazing. I, I don't know if I've seen so many people leaving a service with tears in their eyes uh, as we had last weekend at all the campuses. Uh, my wife Kim and I went to actually three different campuses just to see how, how it went. And at every single campus, I mean, just tears flowing. It was just such an incredible message. If you haven't, if you didn't get to listen to it, go online. Uh, you can stream it right there and you can listen to it. But I get to talk about uh, being a remarkable friend. Okay, and um, you know, the whole series, the reason we put it together is because we wanted to put together um, just areas and, and issues in our lives that make us a remarkable follower of Christ. That's, that's a good thing, right? And, and so um, one of the things that we, as a teaching team, came together and said, hey, you know, what are the traits? What are some of the attributes of, of, of having a remarkable Christian walk? One of those attributes was being a remarkable friend. Now, I am saying remarkable friend. I am not saying remarkable friends. And there's a reason. Because as soon as if I, if I were to say remarkable friends, then you can project what I communicate to you to everybody else. And I felt very strongly that the Lord wanted me to take time in the message to say, hey, listen, this message is about you. I don't know how good of a friend you are, but here's what I do know. You're not perfect and you can get better. You can become a better friend. And an attribute of a good Christian is being a remarkable friend. So let's take a look at what scripture says about friendship and relationships in the Bible. We all know that we were created by God. Um, and you know the, the story goes like this. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates uh, the land, the water. He creates all the animals, the birds, the fish, the sea. And every time he does that, he goes, it is good. It is good. It is good. Then he creates man. And the Bible says that he creates man in his image. Okay, so that tells me right there uh, a, a part of the reason that God created us is because he wanted to have somebody to fellowship with. And so he created man so that he could have an interaction because he, man, had characteristics of God. And so he created man, and this is what he says right after that. He goes, this is not good. And what was he saying? Was man not good? No, it was not good that he's alone. And so we all know the story, Adam and Eve. So he created woman and, and we know the rest of the story there. Um, 
So very, from the very beginning of time, God understood and created us with a desire and a need to have relationship. Let me share a couple stories of relationship. How about David and Jonathan? Um, you can't get, I, I felt like the Lord just kind of shared this with me. Um, well, let me read the scripture. First Samuel one, or first Samuel 18, one and three. After David had finished talking with Saul, and just so that everybody knows, Saul is Jonathan's father. Jonathan, the Bible says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him, David, as himself. Verse three says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And here's, here's um, I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but here's what happens in the Bible. It, the Bible is telling this story about King David. And the, the word of God is a carefully edited piece of, of work. God makes sure that he puts in everything that he wants in it. Do you believe that? Yes. And so this story... And this relationship and this friendship between David and Jonathan, I believe God wanted us to understand. And I don't think you can tell the story of David without actually telling the friendship that he had with Jonathan. And again, I don't have enough time to go into all of the details, but here's what I felt like the Lord wanted me to challenge you. If somebody told your life story, would there be a friend that they would have to tell about in your life? And if not, why not? Aristotle, I found a quote. I was looking up just different things about friendship. And Aristotle, a famous philosopher, said this, a friend is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. What is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. And I love, I, I love that quote. A friend is a single soul, a single mind, a single uh, will, a single thought pattern of emotion that two people have in friendship. And I think a lot of times people go, well, I've got my spouse, I, I've got my wife or my husband, and, and we are one. Yeah, you're one. And that's a whole entirely different relationship. God wants us to have this kind of a relationship with another person, that it is two different people, but yet they know what one another are thinking. They know how one another are feeling. Do you have that type of person in your life? Here's another story, Ruth and Naomi. Um, Ruth um, is, well, let me just read it first. Ruth, chapter one, verse 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so seerly, if even death separates you from me. Now, Ruth, um, Ruth is speaking to Naomi, and Naomi is her mother-in-law. Okay, now Naomi had a husband and two sons. All three of them died. And so Naomi says, you know what? It's time for me to go back to my homeland. And she actually must have been an incredible mother-in-law because these two women wanted to hang with her and to the point where Ruth actually says, can you imagine that? I wanna be, you have made such a friendship with me and an impact on my life that may the Lord judge me even if I die before you do. What kind of friend is that? It's an amazing friend. 
It's incredible. Other scripture, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Ecclesiastes, in your notes, it says 9, 9 and 12. It's actually Ecclesiastes 4. That was my mistake, uh, but it's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 12. And it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. How about this scripture in Proverbs? We've heard this many times, I'm sure. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Church, I'm just asking you, um, do you have that person that can sharpen your countenance? Do you have that person in your life that can come and just tell you anything about who you are as hurtful as it may be, but you realize that they're a friend and they're actually sharpening your countenance? Do you have that person? Have you fostered that type of relationship? Because the truth is, we need that in our lives. I looked this up, one another in the Bible. Depending on what translation you use, NIV, King James Version, New King James Version, I looked up the term one another. And in the New Testament, it is used somewhere between 70 and 110 or 105 times depending on that translation. And here's some of the things that the one another's contain. Love one another, have peace with one another, honor one another, devote yourself to one another, live in harmony with one another, don't judge one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, agree with one another, serve one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, be humble with one another, and have fellowship with one another, and that's just a few of them. Why am I going into all this detail? Because I want you to realize that God thinks friendship is important. God created every single one of us to have relationship and to desire relationship. And not only that, but there are things in our lives that can only be sharpened. There are things in our lives that can only be honed. There are things in our lives that can only come through a relationship with another friend. There's an Australian study, um, actually Kate Matat at the ladies, I, I heard she did an incredible job actually speaking about friendship up at the, at the ladies conference. Um, and so I stole a couple quotes from her or a couple information pieces from her. She told me that there's an Australian study that um, basically says this, people live to an older age if they have a group of friends. There was a study done at the University of North Carolina, and here's what they came out with. Friendship has a bigger impact on your psychological well-being than even your family does. Now, I'm going to stop for a second, because I think there's some people in here right now listening to me at whatever campus you're at, and you're thinking, you know what? I've got really good relationships with my family. I don't need friends. This study actually said, huh? No. Your psycholo psychologically, your mental health, <laughs> your mental health is better off if you have close friends that aren't 
family. So I get it. You may have a very tight family, but that doesn't mean that God's gonna excuse you from actually developing and having relationships. Okay, so if God thinks it's so important, why don't we have it? Because here's, here's the truth. There's more and more that is being said about friendship. The Bible speaks about friendship all throughout. Why is it that we don't have friendship? Why is it that we live in a society that is getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier? How about, how about in the church, we're getting lonelier and lonelier? So I threw that out on Facebook. I just said, hey, help me out understand, what do you think, uh, why is it so hard to make friends? And I got all kinds of answers, but there was several different strains that were very similar. And I thought, actually, what was neat about it is I already had them in my notes, and then the Facebook stuff actually uh, reaffirmed them. Time. People said it's hard to become friends because they don't have time. You know what? Here's the truth. Most people, almost everybody I know, had at least one close friend, if not a group of close friends in high school and college, high school or college. One of the, why is that? Let me do a quick little math equation for you. My kids who are 17 and 15 in high school right now, they spend at least, and I'm saying at least, two hours a day with their close friends. So if you multiply that, that's five days a week, two hours a day. We're not even talking about the weekends, which never mind. Okay. Um, so that's 10 hours a week. If you were to get with a friend right now, one hour a week for coffee for every other week, it would take you five months to match what my kids are doing in one week with their friends. It's an investment. And a lot of times people say, I don't have the time to build a friendship. Um, church, let me tell you something. You, you don't, you don't know what you're missing in that. You need to make the time. Understand that it is so important. God created, you know, Jesus himself said, not only love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. Man, we're wired to have that relationship and God wants you to invest that time. What's another reason that we don't have friendships, that we're finding ourselves getting lonelier and lonelier? How about this? Because we get hurt. You know what? There are many, many people, they get hurt. C.S. Lewis says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wronged and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. <laughs> Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, aimless, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. You can, you can be hurt. You can choose to hide your heart and guard it so nothing will ever happen to it. But you will become hard, impenetrable, and not useful in the kingdom of God. Church, I don't have time to go into each one of these issues the way I would want to, but here's the bottom line. You have to risk I get it, you've been hurt. Well, Pastor Dan, you don't know what I've been through. I don't, but I know what Jesus Christ went through and he calls us his friend. And he was a friend to us and he was beaten and he was mocked and he was hung on a cross for you and I and he understands. And so if you've been hurt, then bring that to the Lord and give it to him and say, Heavenly Father, help me to get past the hurt and help me to move in to this relationship. 
You know, part of that hurt is this thing I put in your notes, pursue um, or pursuing too much. Um, you know what? Sometimes I've found, sometimes in relationship, there is a person that is the pursuer. If you find yourself going, man, I really enjoy this person's company and we really have a good time, but I always have to call, so I'm not calling anymore. Do you know what? Maybe that's your role. Be okay with that. If you're having a good time, go ahead and keep pursuing that relationship. For the other person, though, hey, it might not hurt you to pick up the phone and call somebody. Don't make them always call you. Don't be the other person that pursues every day, like every hour. Hello, hello. No, let's bring a, you know, like a pendulum. Let's bring it to balance. Let's have equal pursuit on both sides. Because it can be hurtful when you feel like you're putting everything into it and nobody's returning that. Give that out. How about another reason? We live in a world where we pull into our garages, the garage door shuts. We have actually moved from our front porch to our back porch to lately, now we just live inside. I wanna show you a little video on, on some of the things that are happening with social media that I think is leading to some of this. Check this out and then I'll come on. A simple thought. Monkeys that are known to have a developed social life organize in small groups of several dozen members. The size of each of these groups is limited. In order for them to function, all members of the group need to know each other well. The average size of the group changes from 20 to 50 members. When the number of monkeys in a group passes a certain threshold, the social order crumbles and the group tends to split into two separate groups. A similar situation can be found amongst humans as well. The invention of language and gossip has helped us shape larger and more stable groups. Sociological research indicates that the maximum natural size of a group of humans is roughly 150 members. Most humans are just incapable of intimately knowing more than 150 people, so even today, the threshold of human organization is around the number of 150 members. Man is a social creature, and the feeling of loneliness can drive him mad, yet the Western and modern world sanctions individuality. The individual is measured by personal achievements, such as having a career, wealth, a self-image, and consumerism. In this course of action, many people lose their social and familial connections in favor of a self-actualization ideal. As the social fabric in the Western world weakens, it is not surprising that more and more people define themselves as lonely, and thus, loneliness has become the most common ailment of the modern world. One of the possible reasons for this ailment is the online social network. In a world where time is money, in which our surroundings heavily pressure us to achieve more and more, our social life becomes tainted and more demanding than ever before. And then there's technology. Simpler, hopeful, optimistic, ever young. We become addicted to virtual romance, disguised by the social network which supplies an impressive platform that allows us to manage our social life most effectively. However, our fantasies about substitutions are starting to take a toll. We're collecting friends like stamps, not distincting quantity versus quality, and converting the deep meaning and intimacy of friendship with exchanging photos and chat conversations. By doing so, we're sacrificing conversation for mere connection, and so a paradoxical situation is created, in which we claim to have many friends while actually being lonely. So what is the problem in having a conversation? Well, it takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're gonna say. And that is the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want it to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. Instead of building true friendships, we're obsessed with endless personal promotion, 
investing hours on end building our profile, pursuing the optimal order of words in our next message, choosing the pictures in which we look our best, all of which is meant to serve as a desirable image of who we are. We're expecting more from technology and less from each other. The social networks aren't just changing what we're doing, but also who we are. And that's because technology appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. And we are vulnerable. We are lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy, while the social networks offer us three gratifying fantasies. One, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Two, that we will always be heard. And three, that we will never have to be alone. And that third idea, that we will never have to be alone, is central to changing our psyches. It's shaping a new way of being. The best way to describe it is, I share, therefore, I am. We use technology to define ourselves by sharing our thoughts and feelings, even as we're having them. Furthermore, we're faking experiences so we'll have something to share, so we can feel alive. We slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel less alone, but we are at risk because the opposite is true. If we are not able to be alone, we're only going to know how to be lonely. There's a line in there. It says, we fake experiences so that we have something to share that will make us feel alive. I'm not saying social media is the cause for all this, but here's what I do know. We've gone from the front porch to the back porch to inside our homes, and we sit there on computers, and, and we have all of these different distractions, whether it's computers or TV, or we have more access to more channels and more movies and whatever, and we isolate ourselves, and we get farther and farther apart from one another and interacting and connecting, and it's become a huge problem in our society. And we have many, many people that are lonely. And I'm bringing it back to you and me. This was incredibly convicting to me as I was studying this out because I get into all of that. And that, that statement right there, we are faking experiences so that we have something to share so that we can feel alive because there is something inside every single one of us that wants to have that life, that wants to have that, that, that feeling of being alive. And God created us to have relationship and in those relationships is where that life comes from. And when we go from the front porch to the back porch and then finally into our house and we get on the computer and we think we have all of these friends. The truth is you don't have any friends. I love what it says. We're, we're, we're taking away the ability to actually converse with one another. And we feel like we're more connected than ever, but we're not. We're not. And so whether it's a time thing and, and you just haven't felt like you have the time to invest, I, I'm telling you, you need to do it. Invest in relationships or whether you've been hurt, man, risk it again. I, I encourage you, become vulnerable. I get it. it, you could get hurt again. But here's the truth, if you want that true life that God wired us and created us with, it's going to come from that relationship with somebody close to you. Or whether you've gotten sucked into um, being those people that are just sitting in your house, whether it's a social media thing or, or maybe it's TV or whatever distractions it is that is taking away from the ability to have relationships, I wanna encourage you, let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. I prayed at the beginning and 
you know, I'm, I'm sensing right now, it, it, it's a very practical message in regards to being friends with people. But the truth is, it has to hit us in the spirit. We have to get it in our spirit, not just in our head, but in our spirit. We have to have something in us that goes, I got to have these things in order to invest the time to risk being hurt, to get away from the things that distract us. The greatest example of someone being a friend for you and I was Jesus Christ. In John 15, 12 through 15, Jesus himself says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Do you have somebody that you would lay your life down for? Do you? You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And church, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ has called you friend. And he has called you friend and said, hey, I wanna live, I lived the life that would be the example to you in what you should look like as a friend. And so what did Jesus do? Obviously, he died for us on the cross, but what did he do while he lived? Man, I wish I could go more in detail into this, but man, he was so incredibly selfless. The hours that he spent ministering and loving and pouring out to other individuals. He just didn't care about himself. He only cared about everybody else that was around. And yeah, he took time once in a while to get what the father was saying, but then he would jump right back into it and selflessly give of himself. And man, have I been convicted lately. I was reading Romans just as my own personal study, and I'm just gonna be completely open and vulnerable with you. I'm reading through Romans, and chapter two talks about how, um, well, chapter one talks about how God gave these people over to all this wickedness because of just their, their own desire. They didn't wanna do the things that God had for them, so they did their own things. And then in chapter two, it, it, in the very first part of it, it talks about the reason that they do this is because they're going after their own selfish desires. And I was like, oh yeah, see, that's why all these people are doing it. And the Holy Spirit went, yeah, how are you doing? And for the next week, everything I did, I had this little voice in my head that went, why are you doing that? And I have to stand before you and go, most of the time, it was because I was being selfish. Even when I thought I was doing good, the Lord went, mm, selfish. And let me give you an example. My good friend, Pastor DJ, a couple weekends ago, he wakes up, goes down to his basement to a couple inches of water on his floor. I wasn't even in town when, when it happened, okay? This was Saturday, I wasn't in town. He had to rip up carpet and do all this stuff. Uh, Sunday, I was incredibly busy with work and I just had appointments during the day and all that. But Monday morning, I decided, you know what? DJ's my really good friend. I should call him and see if he needs help. So I, I don't, I think I texted, I actually texted DJ. I said, DJ, how's the basement going? What, do you need help with anything? That's a good friend, right? Right? Okay. He said, actually, this is more like a one-man job. I'm, I'm good. Everything's fine. And I put my phone down and I went, oh, 
tick up for the good friend right there because I, and the Lord, this is what the Lord tells me. No, you just gave yourself a way out. And then he whispers to me, you're teaching on a remarkable friend. You know what a remarkable friend would have done, Dan? He would have grabbed his tool belt. He would have gone over to his house and said, DJ, I'm here to help. What do you need? See, that's a selfless act. And this is my personal thing, but Holy Spirit, let it go. How are you doing in regards to being a remarkable friend? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray here in just a second and we're gonna have the worship team only do one song. And I want you to remain seated during this one song. And here's the goal of it. I want you to become vulnerable to God. If there's anything that I have said in this message that strikes your heart, would you confess that to the Lord? Would you let that conviction just penetrate into your life? And would you then ask the Lord, what do I need to do? What is it that I need to do? And then your campus pastor is going to get up and he is going to actually conclude the service and he's gonna give a challenge to you in regards to actually doing it on a physical level. We have to be vulnerable to the Lord, our Savior, and we need to be vulnerable with one another. And so that's what we're gonna ask you to do this weekend. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you created each one of us in your image. God, it encourages me so much to know that part of that image is the desire and the need to have fellowship. God, it helps me to understand that you want that walking, talking relationship with me because that's your very nature. And you've given me part of that nature. And so, Lord, thank you so much for the fact that I can have a relationship with you. But, Lord, it goes more and it goes beyond just that relationship that we can have with you. But, Lord, you have designed us and created us to have a relationship with one another. And, God, we see from your word that it is very, very important to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us during this ministry time and help us to know exactly where we need to become vulnerable to others. And Lord, we give you, we give you the right to speak into our lives. We open our hearts and our, open our minds to hear your voice. We know your presence is with us. So Lord, we become present to your presence right now and we ask that you would speak to us. And Lord, we praise you and we ask that you would move. We pray these things in your name, amen.